Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Erwin Lutzer once made these comments. In a time of universal deception, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. And I want to tell you, every time that I step into the pulpit, I want to commit a revolutionary act. I want to speak the truth. I will always want to speak the truth of God's Word. Today we're coming to the last uh, message in our study on Judges. And I want to bring its truth to a conclusion. Because the checking of ungodliness in the days of Judges was largely in the hands of the people. It was their responsibility to check ungodliness. And today, like them, we have no Moses. We don't have a Joshua. We don't have a king like David. And the same thing could be said of us today as what's said in their day, every man did what was right in their own eyes. Even in our churches. That means that today, just like in the days of Judges, the people themselves, both individually and corporately together, were responsible for checking ungodliness. That should be up on our notes. They were responsible for promoting holiness. Now I want you to stop and think about that a minute. You are responsible to uncheck. You are responsible to promote. And if you don't do it, no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to uncheck or check godliness. No one else is going to unpromote or promote holiness unless we do it. Let's bow together. Father, telling the truth today goes against everything of the lies, the deceptions. Father, it really truly is a revolutionary act to speak the truth, to be able to check ungodliness, to be able to promote holiness, as we come now to the final few chapters of Judges, reveal to us your way. Reveal to us your truth. Reveal to us that this isn't somebody else's responsibility. It's not a Moses or a Joshua or a David. It's my responsibility. So Lord, open up your scripture to us. Open up these chapters to us. Show us what you want us to know today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the question really comes in the book of Judges was, where was everybody's own eyes to be looking for authority? That authority that would tell them what they should do. Where are we looking today 
for that authority to tell us as a church, as an individual, as a family, as a nation, what it is that we should do. And in Judges, the people rarely look to anything but their own sinful lives, their own sinful ways. There's no reason why they should not have looked somewhere else that was more trustworthy, but they didn't do it. Now, as the time of Judges was about to begin, as we began to look at that book, we see the words of Joshua at Shechem. And the people responded in Joshua 24 by saying, We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. It is the Lord God that we will serve. It is His voice we will obey. Have you ever been there? It's God's voice. I hear His voice. I'm going to obey that voice. Then we get about halfway through the book of Judges, and we see in the time of Gideon that once again, he declares that the real ruler of Israel was God in Judges chapter 8. But then as we make our way to the end of the book, at the time of Judges, the Lord speaks to the last prophet judge by the name of Samuel. And he tells him that the rejection of Samuel's rule and reign was in essence the rejection of God and his rule and reign in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And there's nothing but moral chaos in chapters 18, 19, 20. Moral chaos. In fact, you could write that word over those last four chapters, moral chaos, and those are the words that you could write over our generation, our, our world today, moral chaos. See, we're being told that the only way somehow to make the church and Christianity relevant today and appealing is to move the markers. We keep moving the markers to make it more relevant, more appealing. To become more inclusive as a church. To become more uh, appealing. Let me ask you, how did that work out in the day of Judges? How did it work out? See, the alternative in every circumstance is for us to, to acknowledge the God and sovereign rule, His authority, His reign in our life. That's the only way we're going to know what His authority is, is to be able to acknowledge it. And we're only going to see that happen three times as we get to these last three chapters. So let's take a brief look. Turn with me to Judges chapter 18. We're going to move very quickly through these chapters that bring us to the end of the book of Judges. Look at chapter 18. Now, the, the tribe of Dan was seeking an inheritance for itself. And so they went and they plundered Micah. And they not only took Micah's idols, they also took his priests. Look at chapter 18 beginning with verse 18. When these went into Micah's house, took the carved images, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. Now see, this should have been a place where you found the right things, but they find idols and ephods. And the priest. And the priest says to them, what are you doing? And they said to him the same thing that's being said today. They said to him, be quiet, put your hand over your mouth. Does that sound familiar today? Just shut up. Just be quiet. Now notice this. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man, Micah, or that you should be a priest to a tribe and a family? Hey, we're going to promote you. We're going to expand your ministry as a priest. So the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image, 
and took his place among the people. Do you see that? That's what's gone wrong with the pastors today. They've taken their place among the people. So the tribe of Dan built their own city, and they set up idols to Micah, and the priests then defiled God. Look at verse 27, same chapter. So they took the things of Micah and made, and the priest who had belonged to him and went to Laish, to a people quiet and secure, minding their own business. And they struck them with the edge of the sword, burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and there was no ties with anyone else. So it was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rehob. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there. And they called the name of the city Dan. Does that sound familiar? After the name of Dan, their father. Then verse 30, Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved images of Jonathan, the son of Geshem, and the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribes of all of them of Dan. So look at verse 31. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. Now let's go to chapter 19. Another Levite this time. These are the ones that are supposed to be serving God, representing the people to God. Another Levite calls for a concubine. So he takes a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And uh, then she decides that she's going to leave him. So she goes back to her father's house in Bethlehem. So then he decides he's going to pursue her. So he goes and follows her and uh, talks nice to her. So she invites him to his, her father's house. And they are to spend five nights being entertained there. Now the Levite then was going to take his concubine, and he left for Geba. And he couldn't find a place to stay in Geba, so he decided he was going to stay in the open courtyard and spend the night there in the open courtyard. And an old man comes in from the field, and he warns him not to stay in the open square at night, and the old man invited him to his house for fear of the homosexual community. Let's pick up the story in verse 20. And the old man said, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So he brought to him his, in his house, and he gave fodder to the donkeys. And he washed his feet and ate and drank. And they were enjoying themselves. Suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. And they spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, come out, bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him carnally. Now, is there any doubt what's going on here? But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly, seeing this man has come into my house. Do not commit this outrage. Look here, here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out. Humble them and do with them as you please, but not to this man. Do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house where the master was till it was not light. And when her master arose in the morning, he opened the doors of the house and went out to go to his way. And there was his concubine falling at the door of the house with her hands upon the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let us be going. 
But there was no answer. Why? Because she was dead. So the man lifted her onto his donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. And when he entered into his house, he took a knife, laid hold of the concubine, divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. Let's go to chapter 20. We're going to build on all this. When the story of the body parts of this concubine went throughout all of Israel, Israel decided to make war on Benjamin. So Israel inquired of the Lord twice, and they were still defeated by the Benjamites. Look at chapter 20, beginning with verse 18. Then the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of the God to inquire of the Lord, and they said, Which of us shall go up the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Geba. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Geba. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Geba and on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of Israel. They lost. So they ask again. Verse 23, you see the children of Israel, once again they go and, and they ask of the Lord. And so the children of Israel, in verse 24, came and approached the children of Benjamin. And Benjamin went out against them. And this time they cut down 18,000 more. Now God had never promised a victory. He was testing them. So they inquired of him again. The third time. Verse 26, Then all the children, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept, and they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening, and they, and they offered burnt offerings. So in verse 27, The children of Israel inquired the Lord. The ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again, the third time, basically go out the battle against the children of Israel, or the children of Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hands. In verse 35, we see the Lord defeated the, the Benjamites. About 25,100 of them were laid dead. Now let's go to verse 21. You say, are you going to make a point here? Yeah, I will. Let's look at verse 21. Israel now realizes that there is a tribe missing. There's not 12 tribes now. Look at verse 1 to 3, chapter 21. Now the, the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, none of, none of us are going to give our daughter to a Benjamite as a wife. So then the people came to the house of God, and they remained there before the Lord till evening. And they lifted up their voices, and they wept bitterly, and, and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass to Israel? Hello. <laughs> they should have known why. That today there should be only one tribe missing in Israel. Now they needed to find wives for the Benjamites in order that they could repopulate the tribe of Ben. 
So you see that little plan that came up in beginning with verse, uh, chapter uh, 21, verse 7. What should we do for the wise for those who remain? And in verse 8 they said, what, 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 what is there one tribe in Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, one had not come from the camp of Jabez Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed not one inhabitant of Jabez Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out, and there 12,000 of their most valiant men, and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and the children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male, every woman who has, not, who has known a man intimately. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabez Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Well, there's a problem. There still not, weren't enough women. Look at verse 14. So the Benjamites came back, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive, from the women of Jabez Gilead, and yet they had not found enough of them. So now the next story comes. It's the best dating website you've ever seen. You didn't, they didn't even have to even fill out to see if they're compatible or not. Let's go take a look at this, this dating plan that they had. Actually, it was worse than that. Let's go to verse 18. However, okay, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, because we made an oath. Then they said, verse 19, in fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south to Labona. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, <laughs> now, look at this, go lie and wait in the vineyards and watch, and just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, and then go to the land of Benjamin. Now think of this. And so they did. And now, now all twi 12 tribes are completed. But isn't it interesting, after we've gone through these four chapters, the book of Judges ends in verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in their own eyes. Now, here comes my conclusion to the book. I'm going to give you a lot of things here. First of all, God was always there. God was always there. Even in these last four chapters, God was still there. And I want to tell you, no matter how bad it's going to get, God will always be there. No matter how many times we, we rebel and don't follow the ways of the Lord, He always sends a deliverer, He delivers us, and He's always there. Now, the second thing I want us to understand, that God, the whole time here, was sitting on the sideline disapprovingly. I think He's there today. Speaking, in the end, only when he's spoken to. Otherwise, just being still. And letting the people muddle through their own way. I think that's what God is allowing to happen today. He's allowing the church, he's allowing Christians to simply muddle it through on their own. 
After all, that's what she wanted to do. And after all, that's what we want to do. So he just lets us muddle through. But even through their muddling, <laughs> he was still there. See, he was still there when early on he made the directive for the people to conquer the land. But they didn't go conquer the land. He was still there when he, be able to, he made the accusation earlier that they had failed to consider the law. They failed to consider the law. Still. Even though he made that assertion. And he was still there when they made uh, the decree earlier that they were not clinging to God. So today, we're not conquering the land. Our churches are dying. We're not considering the law. In fact, we do very little preaching from this book anymore. You go to most churches, they're going to tell you good stories. But they're not going to be preaching from this book. We're not considering the law. We're considering good things, the things we want to hear, the things that tickle our ears today. And we're not clinging to God. We cling to psychology and our pills and our prescriptions and our alcohol and drugs and everything else to get us through as Christians even. You say, boy, pastor, you're being awful negative today. This is a day to be like Jeremiah, a day to weep. But see, God was still there. The people had not conquered, they had not considered, they had not clung to God, but he was still there. They were left to their own ways to follow and try to find God on their own, and they couldn't do it. And this reminds me, this is where I want to bring our parallel to. Let's go to Romans 1. This is a parallel chapter to the whole book, in my opinion, of Judges. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. You know it. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Begin with verse 18 and follow this through. And I'm going to have you underline some key things in here. Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. How many of you think that God's wrath is being revealed from heaven today? Right? It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, notice this, who deliberately suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They hold down the truth. They don't want the truth. They want to live by the truth. Because that which may be known of God, it's manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Go out and look at the stars. Go out and look at creation. There is a creator. Now notice this. Because, verse 21, although they did not know God, they did not glorify him as God. Nor were they thankful in their heart, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now notice this. Changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Therefore, underline this statement the first time. God gave them over. 
God gave them up. That's what's going on. That's what's happening. God gave them up. To what? To uncleanliness. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. That's number one. Number two, to exchange the truth of God for the lie and worshiping and serve the creation rather than the creator. That's what we do today. With all of our emphasis today, and I'm not trying to be opposed. I'm a conservationist. I, you know, I can go on and on. But I want to tell you what. We're worshiping Mother Earth. And that goes all the way back to, what's her name? Jezebel. And the spirit of Jezebel. Sometimes go back and look at that. And how it appears into our culture and society. Where we are worshiping man and we're worshiping the creation around us rather than the creator himself. So that's how God gave him up the first time. Now notice this. For this reason, here's the second time, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passion. Now notice this. Because we just saw it in Geba. We see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. We're seeing it today. God gave them up to vile passions for even their females, women, exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Now, I'm not saying this. God's Word is saying this. I'm going to stop here a minute because, folks, we have got to love the homosexual community. We have to love them. But we have to speak the truth as a revolutionary thought into their lives. Because to me, and sometime I'll just teach on this subject alone, homosexuality is a result of unmet needs in childhood primarily. Usually the woman unmet needs with the mother, usually the man unmet needs with the father. I'll prove this sometime in another message. I'm going to go off again. I was in a home uh, talking with a couple in my house, and the question was asked, well, what happens when your child... And I'm, I'm, I'm going off my message here a minute. What do you happen when the child is born with both sex organs? What do you do? I said, I go to the Creator. They either have an X or XY chromosome. Whatever the chromosome is, that's the decision you make because the Creator has already decided that. See what I'm saying? You don't have to agree with me. I just, do you see what I'm saying? So we go on here. This is part of their not liking to retain God. See, where did homosexuality come from? Where does this worship of creation, where did it come from? By not acknowledging God. Giving up on God. So God allows us to go. And notice this, likewise the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men, committing that which is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Now I want to tell you folks, there's another letter being added to the LBGTQ community, and it's the letter A. Did you know that? It's ally. 
And if you do not ally, ally with them, they will sue you, take you to court, and make it impossible for you to function. That's why all the big companies, big businesses, high techs, they're all going in because of the threats. I've seen people who've lived that lifestyle delivered by the grace of God. I've seen it. But I want to tell you, it's a threat. I'm off my message now. I'll get back to it. See, here in this church, we do not have, we do not commit, we do not have civil ceremonies here. We made that decision years ago. We have religious services. If you want to get a license, you have to go somewhere else to get it. We'll, we'll let you take your vows before God. Because once you make a decision to open up to a civil ceremony, you can open, everyone is open. So we don't have a civil ceremony here. We have a religious ceremony. You take your vows before God. And by the way, it used to be that pastors had to sign your witness. You can have your dog sign your witness today. It doesn't matter. You can have anybody sign a marriage certificate. Oh, man, I can go on, but I've, I've got to get back to my message here. The third time, as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, underline it again, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. I won't go in. Then he lists those whole list of things. See, this is why we are where we are, because they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. But even here in Romans, God's not abandoned his people. We have in the end, in the book of Judges, the story of grace. Folks, it's always about grace. We here at Trinity believe in a grace-oriented ministry. Not laws, not order, not rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. Grace. And you see, God has bound himself to us by unbreakable promises. Would you get that down? God binds himself to us with unbreakable promises. Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, the promise is grace abounds even more. That's a great promise that God's bound us of, himself to us. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Tribulation can't, distress can't, persecution can't, famine can't, war can't, peril can't. For I'm persuaded, this is his persuasion, neither life or death or principality or powers or not, or, uh, uh, you see, life, death, principalities, powers, things to come, things, things present, things to come, nothing, there I go, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, it's embarrassing to try to quote something, you don't quite have it right. But, but so, do you see the exceeding promises there? God abounds in love. And nothing will ever separate us. And then if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, even though we are faithless, he remains faithful. See, God cannot deny himself. He is a faithful God. These are the binding promises that the people and judges had that we have today. 
Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And even if we're faithless, he is faithful. There's a Christian poet by the name of Vasily Zuglowski. And this is what he said. We all have crosses to bear. And we're constantly trying on different crosses for a good fit. What's he saying? We're trying to find a lighter cross. See, how we're perceived on earth is not as important as how we're perceived in heaven. How are you being perceived in heaven? Let's bow together. God, I want to thank you for your grace that you bind yourself to us even when we're unfaithful with exceeding great and precious promises that your love is always abounding, that nothing will ever separate us from it, that, Father, even though we are faithless, you are faithful to us. Lord, in these days in which we live, when it's going to get harder and harder for Christians to live without consequence and without persecution. It's coming. It's here. Father, help us to conquer the land, to consider your ways, and to cling to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.